and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the details that make our world richer. I'm your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzar-Jamari, and I'm joined by an incredible traveling guest that I wasn't sure I was going to ever get to talk to him again. And man, it's great hearing from you again. Uh, Tucker, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dr. Tucker Peck. Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist and a sleep expert, and I run the website drugfreesleep.com. Yeah, so... The, the story of how we met is pretty hilarious. We were actually both, uh, we were going to Fort Lauderdale? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. We were going to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I was going, so. But we didn't go to Fort Lauderdale. Exactly. So we were, we actually were sitting next to each other on a flight and we, uh, of course we got to talking and I was like, oh, I do a podcast among other things. And he's like, oh, I run this incredible website where I help people, well, basically with their well-being, especially around sleep. And then... We found out that we were supposed to go to Fort Lauderdale because I was making connecting flight. And was that your final destination? Yeah, I'm from there. That's my hometown. And unfortunately, you know, Florida storms are a thing. We got rerouted, but they gave us even more time to talk. And while we were stuck, I think we ended up in Fort Myers. Yeah, we were on the tarmac in Fort Myers for quite a while. This was hilarious because we spent half the flight making jokes about who even lives in Fort Myers. And then we found out the only people who live in Fort Myers got redirected from Fort Lauderdale. So, yeah, we were sitting on the tarmac and I had, this was the, if any of you remember the John Wick episode with our first swing the small stuff on the go. This was me kind of like testing the waters for that. And I whipped out my lav mics and we tried recording and you will be surprised how terrible the cabin of a fully packed airplane is for recording anything. So <laughs> yeah, that, that went about as well as you can imagine. But fortunately, I reached back out and Tucker was more than awesome enough to say, yeah, let's do it. Let's record. Let's re-record. And so, hey, how's it going? Hey, nice to see you again, Cameron. Uh, you don't usually see the people next to you on the flight again. Yeah, that's this may be the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of what we got to talk about on the flight was specifically about sleep, about the drugs and the sleep cycle and the things that make up sleep that I feel a lot of people don't understand or appreciate the science of. And so I thought before we jump into, I guess, the real meat of the kind of fun and crazy things we like to talk about on the show, do you want to give us a little primer on what we need to know when it comes to sleep and our, our well-being? Yeah, I used to go to this conference every year. It's like the annual conference of sleep scientists. And the joke was that everybody gave the same talk. Uh, you pick some problem and then you see whether sleep makes the problem better and sleep deprivation makes it worse. And it turns out it's always the same answer. Um, sleep is where memories are formed. It's where the body heals itself. It's uh, necessary for emotion regulation, for hormonal balance, uh, the way that you decide whether you need to eat or not is dependent on sleep. There's almost nothing in your mind and body's functioning that isn't affected by getting a good night's sleep. I think that's an important thing to know because the other thing is people, I think, confuse being knocked out and being dead tired with sleep. Like they're not actually the same thing because the, the restorative sleep that you just described is not actually the sleep a lot of us can end up getting when we were working long hours and caffeinating ourselves to death. Yeah, so what, what I think Michael Jackson died from, if I remember, was getting a general anesthetic every night. So mm -hmm. as far as he knew, he was unconscious that sleep uh, but unconsciousness and sleep are, are not similar. It's a problem with sleeping pills as well. 
Sleeping pills can make you unconscious, so you feel like you're sleeping. But with most sleeping pills, you're not getting the proper stages of sleep in the proper amounts in the proper order. So there's research, for instance, that people who take Ambien aren't any likely to crash their cars or fall down and hurt themselves than people who just lived with the insomnia. Um, so what what we need every night is a kind of sleep that is dependent on a consistent sleep schedule and not having certain chemicals in your system like caffeine, of course. And so the I think the thing that a lot of us have all heard about is this REM sleep, this rapid eye movement. Can mm -hmm. you Can you kind of speak to what these different stages of sleep are and what where is the restor the restorative properties where does that happen yeah so there used to be five stages of sleep about 10 years ago sort of like what happened to pluto the planet uh stage four was just determined it was secretly always part of stage three all along so there's now four stages what's called stage one is transitional it's a weird thing that you would think there's a moment when you switch from being awake to being asleep, but there's actually not. Uh, the difference between sleep and wake is continuous, not dichotomous. So stage one is this transition into sleep. Stage two sleep is where we spend most of the night. Uh, some of the things that are going to happen in stage two sleep are related to memory consolidation and a big component of stage two sleep is repairing your body. So if you imagine that all day you're getting little micro tears in your muscles from use, mm -hmm. you'd need to stop using the muscles in order to repair the micro tears. So this is part of what happens in stage two. Stage three is the stage, it's also called delta sleep. It's the most unconscious a person's going to become. It's a dreamless, not always, but generally dreamless deep sleep and this is responsible among other things for making you feel less tired uh there's also components of memory and uh, kind of cleaning out the cells mm -hmm. REM sleep usually comes towards the end of the night this is the sleep when you're dreaming people who don't get REM sleep among other problems have difficulty with emotion regulation uh, it seems like there's some theories that dreaming might actually be related to learning how to manage emotions during the day. And like all stages of sleep, REM is associated with memory formation, particularly with uh, emotionally charged memories. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it the release of serotonin or there? I thought there was some sort of compound in the brain that basically during, well, especially not just sleep, but dream is when you dream, it's not just you dreaming, it's you restructuring your memories. And as I understand, there's specifically in terms of being able to do emotion regulation, as you dream, it's your brain is reliving these memories from the day, but the fear element, the, the compounds and the processes in your brain that keep that at the forefront when we're awake, they're, for lack of a better word, turned off. So we don't have the same fear response as we're reprocessing our experiences while we're asleep. I don't think that's true, actually. So from a brainwave perspective, there's actually no way to tell whether a person is awake or in REM sleep. The brainwaves look identical. Um, just about everybody's had the experience of nightmares and terror and fight or flight literally fleeing in dreams. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's, that's distinct in dreams, the way you actually tell REM sleep from wake is that except in really rare conditions, your body becomes paralyzed during REM sleep. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> if you come into the sleep lab, we would put a, an electrode on your chin measuring the muscle tone there. And when that goes flat, we would know that you were paralyzed and that this was REM sleep. So the emotional systems really aren't impaired. One thing that is impaired during sleep is what we might call the ego. Neurologically, the ego is associated with the frontal lobe. This is the first thing to go off with sleep and the last thing to come back online. What I mean by ego, among other things, is the part of the mind that represses things it doesn't want to deal with. And when you're asleep, this repression turns off. So it's why fear and emotions and things that you wouldn't let come up during waking life do explode into consciousness during REM sleep. Wow. that's So there's a lot more activity, I guess, going on in my brain than I even appreciated before. And I don't even, as I don't think you could answer this, but could you explain maybe why a lot of us, we have these vivid dreams or we have these crazy dreams that like I can, I have the emotional experience that I just went through something that was deep or fascinating, but I can never remember the dream. Yeah. So the mechanism that creates memory formation is usually off during a dream. It's part of why your dreams make no sense and you don't notice. The sequence of events in your dreams is often impossible, but you can't recall the sequence of events. So it doesn't matter. You don't notice that this isn't consistent with what was happening 30 seconds ago. Generally, the only dreams you can remember are the ones that you wake up out of, and the waking impression of the dream is there. Although you probably had the experience that when you first wake up, your brain is still in a semi-sleepy state. So that thing where when you wake up, you remember the dream clearly, and then 10 minutes later, it's gone, the memory formation didn't occur. Is that, I guess, is that part of mood congruency? That idea that your body, your brain is kind of like in this space and because it's in the space, it can remember other things from the space. But the moment you go into kind of a different mindset, those ideas move out of the forefront of your brain. No, not exactly. The idea of mood congruency is like when you get depressed, you'll remember things that happened when you were last depressed. Whereas mm-hmm. here, it's not as though when you next experience terror, the dream comes back, right? Generally, the dream is gone forever if it doesn't get into long-term memory storage. Thank you so much for giving us this excellent primer on sleep and dreaming. I think this was just very enlightening. Of course, you know, especially considering the fact that we've, in a way, had this conversation before. This was, this was all just a wind-up. <laughs> just like we, dreaming. It's, it's like deja vu. Exactly. Exactly. This is, you're still on that plane. We never left Fort Myers. You're still there on the tour. <laughs> oh, God. Of all the places to be stuck forever. And speaking of being stuck forever, this brings us to, we, we always like to find a pop culture hook. We always like to find something that I think a lot of the audience has experienced or enjoyed that we want to paint with a broader brush. And here, I think the thing that immediately jumps into people's minds when we think of insane dreaming is Inception. Oh, I remember that movie. That classic Leo DiCaprio movie. Can you can you even recall how long ago you saw it? Uh, like most sleep doctors, I saw it right around the time it came out. <laughs> was that like <laughs> 10 years ago? Was it like a required reading for you guys? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. It was the same way that all the clinical psychologists went to uh, Inside Out the, the day the film opened. Oh, wow. I actually, okay, this is, you've put me, you throw me for a loop. All right. The one thing I think that we had a really interesting conversation about prior 
was the fact that in the movie, but we're, we're I'll, I'll take a moment and just explain this to the audience real fast. We acknowledge that there's some really cool stuff going on in terms of like the brain's capacity to think in like ways that defy physics when we aren't bound by physics and just all the different ways that your mind can solve problems and create puzzles and whatnot. And that's cool and all. But there's a fundamental problem with the movie that I think our conversation so far gets at. Overlooking the obvious fact that if you stick a syringe in your arm does not give you the ability to share memories with another person, th there's a problem, which is in the movie, it appears that most people just kind of get knocked out. They don't really, they're not entering this deep dream state, right? They're just kind of getting knocked out. From what I've understood from our conversation so far, that that doesn't make any sense. Just because you're put under doesn't mean you're suddenly asleep. I don't know of any chemical that would throw a person into a dream state. It's not logically impossible. Yeah, it's certainly conceivable that there would be a drug that could cause you to suddenly start dreaming. Um, but I, I, I don't I don't think there is one. There are a lot of mental faculties that would allow you to... I mean, like, we can think of, like, daydreaming with big air quotes. Like, it's not the same as actual sleep, but it is kind of your brain wandering. And then maybe a more applicable example here is lucid dreaming, the idea of you pushing your brain into that subconscious space where you are still co cognizant of what's going on around you. Yeah, so lucid dreaming uh, can happen naturally the younger you are generally the more common it is. So the lucid dream is where you're dreaming and there's a moment where you suddenly realize that you're dreaming. When you realize you're dreaming, you realize there's no consequences. So usually when you get good at dreaming, uh, you have to get the two Fs out of the way first, which is flying and sex. <laughs> once you've... <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> once you've gotten Are those enough, clinical terms? Uh, I think these are just like the two most repressed desires in the human mind. Uh, everybody wants to do these two when they find out they're in a world with no consequences. Uh, my experience was after enough time in lucid dreams, you get over the two Fs. And um, at that point, you can do a lot more playing around. You can practice conjuring things, practice destroying things. So obviously living in a totally mind-made world where all the sensory experience is intact is pretty enticing. So there's, uh, there's a man from Arizona named Steve LaBerge, who was kind of the godfather of lucid dreaming research. And he's found all kinds of ways you can induce lucid dreaming. What seems like the best trick is about two, two and a half hours before your normal wake up time, wake up, go do something for a half hour and then go back to sleep. Okay. I, I always heard that there was like... um. You want to be in a quiet place. You want white noise. You want a lot of red light. None of the other lights, because as I understand it, red light is a more natural light and blue light and whatnot can really mess with our brain's ability to just be like, yes, it's the end of the day. Time for sleep. <laughs> no, actually, and, red is an unnatural light. Oh. Um, and, and that's that's why it's it. So blue is the most natural light, right? If you look up, it's blue. Uh, so the evolutionary theory is blue light signals daytime. It's the sky. The only light you would see at nighttime is fire, which is why red doesn't have an impact on circadian rhythm oh, in the same way. This is amazing. Thank you. I'm learning so much from this conversation. <laughs> and then, sorry, so the things where you want red light, white noise, quiet place, relaxed, and then have ping pong balls over your eyes to diffuse the light, I guess, so that you can't 
fixate on any one point or something. Gee, I haven't heard about ping pong balls. You can buy some things online that do different kinds of strobing. I, I've never tried inducing lucid dreaming, um, but it's, there's lots of stuff on, on Steve LaBerge's website about how to do it. Interesting. So, uh, sorry, before it sounded like there was a good bit of trial and error going on with you figuring out the uh, two Fs of lucid dreaming. <laughs> no, to actually get into the lucid dream for me came naturally. And I spent enough time there without trying to that didn't hold as much excitement to go back. It started feeling like playing a video game with all the cheat codes on. It's not very fun, <laughs> right? Like, if there's no risk of dying or anything going badly, <laughs> you'd get bored of the game quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. Although I imagine, uh, I mean, I imagine something like that will really let your creativity fly if you wanted to just play with all sorts of different ideas. You can actually, you can practice stuff in lucid dreams, and you get the same effects on skill as though you had been practicing in real life. This is like a legit superpower. Damn. Yeah, yeah. So some people will do that, and that you're improving skills during the night. There's also different meditative tricks you can do out of lucid dreams, including apparently when you get good enough at conjuring and destruction, uh, you can actually just turn the whole world off and uh, you're sitting in the state of supposedly pure consciousness without any objects of consciousness, which is, I think, what's often referred to as nirvana, but I, I haven't done this one yet. Amazing. And I guess bringing it back to that inception idea, I can see the, the, I guess the heroes, the Leonardo DiCaprio and the people who are intentionally trying to get these people into a dream, being able to conjure and destroy like that with this lucid dreaming methodology. I could see that. I still think it's strange to get the target, the person who doesn't know that we're trying to force them into a dream state to fall asleep and have a dream where we get to enter their mind like that. Yeah, but I would honestly say that's not that distant science fiction. Getting somebody to fall into REM sleep seems like ultimately a pretty solvable problem. And knowing what people are thinking is, is an almost solved problem. There's quite a few years ago an experiment at Berkeley where you would think of an image and the computer would draw the image. And maybe five years ago, Sometimes it was wrong, but sometimes it was spot on. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, this is, I think this has been an excellent conversation. I think, I, I know we could probably talk for hours and hours and I expect to have you back on the show because man, it's just an absolute delight getting to talk to you. Well, thanks, Karen. Hopefully another fun sleeping movie will come out and we can rip on that one for a good hour. Till then, you mentioned your website. Would you like to give us a recap on kind of where we can find you and also where we can practice our lucid dreaming? Oh yeah, sure. So my website is drugfreesleep.com. Uh, drugfreesleep.com is based on cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. It's what the National Institute of Health says should be the first line of insomnia treatment. Uh, so it's a five-week course. It's only $225. I don't have data on the online version, but uh, I have an almost perfect track record with patients over the course of the last five years or something getting over insomnia with this treatment in the clinic. So it's really powerful. It seems to work for almost everybody. And um, it's available online now, drugfreesleep.com. I, I was so excited when I got that URL. <laughs> there's, there's no hyphens. There's no .net. I was playing around with different mottos. And my favorite one is drugfreesleep.com. You could write it down, but you don't need to. Yeah, and I, I think anyone out there who's suffering from insomnia, this might be a really useful tool for you. I really hope you'll take the time to check it out because the site looks great. 
and I've heard nothing but good things from you in all the different materials I've seen you in. So uh, keep up the great work. Oh, real fast. So one more time, who was the guy with the uh, lucid dreaming and where can we find his story? Oh, um, so his name is Steve LaBerge. It's uh, L-A-B-E-R-G-E. Um, mm-hmm. If you Google him or the other guy, I was on his podcast recently too, is Andrew Holacek. It's H-O-L-O-C-E. H-O-L-I-C-E-K. Both of them have pretty substantial websites with lucid dreaming techniques, dream yoga, uh, YouTube channels, and stuff like that. Awesome. And if you're looking for some more sway in the small stuff, you can find all of our stuff at Small Stuff Show on social media. We have a subreddit, our small stuff show. There'll be a post for this episode up there. So please do go check it out. Feel free to leave comments and reviews. And if you know a friend who needs help with insomnia, or just would really like to listen to this episode, please do share it with them because we found personal recommendations are the best way to grow our audience. Until then, thank you so much, Tucker, for coming onto our show. Thanks so much for having me, Cameron. And I've been your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzard Jamari, reminding you, from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. Mm-hmm.